Hello, beloved, and welcome to this episode, which is the first episode of Life's Lessons Through God's Word in 3D Surround Audio. I'm Dr. Alfonso Brown, and I'm a practicing doctor and an assistant professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. First and foremost, however, I'm a man of God and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. My purpose in life is to teach life's lessons as instructed by the Word of God. My words are meant to inspire, provide hope, and bless the hearer. Please join me today as I will speak on the topic, You Are God's Masterpiece. And brothers and sisters, I'm happy to say that God has provided a long line of physicians. So I'm happy to follow in the ministry of my good forefather, Brother Luke. And now, let us begin with a prayer. Dearest Father God, may the words that we will hear and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in thy sight, O Father. And as we grow in our knowledge of you, O Lord, may we become more like your son Jesus and be led by his Holy Spirit always, Lord. Teach us life's lessons, Father, as we meditate on your words and promises. And, O Lord, as we by faith draw near to you, please comfort and guide us so the word may grow in our hearts. Dear Father, please hear and answer our prayers. In Jesus' name, my Lord. Amen. I'd like to speak for a topic today. We are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. Our scripture today is taken from Jeremiah, verse one, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And it says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. These were the words that the Lord God was speaking to the prophet Jeremiah, telling him about his role as a prophet and how he would speak to the people. But do you realize that for all of us who believe and all children of God, that we have the same promise? We are indeed a masterpiece. You don't believe me? It says it in the Bible. Now anything I tell you won't just be speculation. I'm going to tell you things as we learn together that come directly from God's word. And then I'm going to use lessons in life to show you how God's word applies using a combination of science, common sense, facts, and other information. God says in his word in Ephesians 2 and 10 that we are God's masterpiece. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, that is his son, so we can do good. And he says, you are a masterpiece and the good that he wants you to do are the things that he planned for us long ago. I'll read it again. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That should make you jump with joy because you're a masterpiece. And not only are you any masterpiece, you're a masterpiece created by the almighty God do you understand, brothers and sisters, how powerful that is? Maybe you don't, because maybe you don't feel like you're a masterpiece. Maybe you look around you and say, you know what, I don't have a job. There's a 
worldwide plague going on right now. I'm struggling with drug and alcohol addiction. I have all these problems. I do not feel like a masterpiece. Well, let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, you are. The Word of God says it. God says it. But if you don't believe it, let's look at what the science and science of probability says. You can look this up and confirm everything I'm going to tell you, but as a scientist, like I said, I'm a Harvard doctor. And one of the things I wanted to bring to your attention is that at the time that you were conceived, there are about 500 million to 1.2 billion sperm that were released. Why is that important? Well, most families don't conceive right away on the first try. Actually, it can be quite difficult. Sometimes they have to try multiple times to have a baby. Well, approximately how many people are there in the world? There's about 7 billion. So let's say your mom and your dad tried seven times or more. Each time, 1.2 billion times 1 times 2 times 3 times 4. No baby, right? You have over 1.2 billion organisms each time trying to become you. One of them, only one of them, became you. You don't believe me? Well, if you've got brothers and sisters, are they exactly like you? Even if you're a twin, are they exactly like you? They have differences, they're nuances, because they represent a different individual, a different sperm that fertilized the egg. You see where I'm going with this? So now let's think about it. Your mom and your dad try seven times, and finally out of those seven times, one tiny sperm, which would eventually fuse with the egg and become you, is the one that lives. So now, what happened? Let's look at this. Imagine this now, the entire world's population, seven billion organisms died so that one person, you, could get here. The entire world's population died. And you are the only one that survived. Can you imagine if you traveled to another planet and when you got there, there were seven billion people dead and only one person was still alive? Suppose we brought that person back to Earth. How do you think we would react to that person? We'd probably be like, oh my gosh, we've got to preserve them. We have to understand why this person survived and everybody else died. Imagine it was some sort of a worldwide plague and only one person lived. How do you think we would treat that person? Do you think we would allow them to do anything to harm themselves? No, we'd want to know everything about them because we would realize the masterpiece that they are. But it gets even better. You see, from that initial 1.2 billion each time, only about a million or so make it close enough to the egg to have a fighting chance. But the egg has its, its defenses set up as well because whoever created and designed it, hint, 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 God our Father, made it so that the egg self-selects for that one sperm that's trying to get in. And so roughly a million sperm sacrifice themselves by trying to get to the egg. and doing so, they wear down the defenses so that the one sperm that gets in can fertilize the egg. Now, can you imagine this? Whatever city you live in, imagine a million residents of your city came to your door and said, hey, what? There's gonna be a wipeout. We're all gonna be killed. And guess what we decided? We decided that you, 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 you are the one that's gonna live, but we know that you can't get there by yourself. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna sacrifice our life. Yes, we are going to die so that you can live. And all we ask is that you carry on the gene pool, which is what you did, because you're here right now. And you have the genes of your mother, your father, and all of your ancestors. So that's pretty cool, huh? Again, 
close to the world's population dying just so you could get here. What were you doing on that morning when you're in the sperm bank getting ready to leave? Were you lifting weights? Were you running around eating smoothies? What were you doing? <laughs> you know, something just happened and then you had to pull out and get to the egg. And somehow you outswam, outran, outcompeted the world's population for the right to be born in this earth that you're in right now. But it gets even better. That's the conception. But there's also the preconception. What do I mean by that? Well, let me ask you this question. How many people did it take for you to get here? That's a loaded question. If you say your mom and your dad, you'd be correct. But that's not wholly true. Because your mom and dad didn't get here by themselves. They also had mom and dads. And their mom and dads also had mom and dads. So let's take a look at this. Um, if you count your mom and dad, it's two people for you to get here. If you count their moms and dads, right? Your mother has a, a, a father and a mother. Your father had a father and your mother, right? So that's that, those two plus four more people. That's six total. And then if you go back, their moms and dads had moms and dads as well. I can tell you quickly, it's eight people. How do I figure this out? Well, you just take two, right? And you raise it to the generation. So your mom and dad are the first generation. So two to the first is two. Your grandparents are the second generation away from you. So two to the second is four. Your great grandparents are the third generation. So two to the third is eight. And you go back and back. Well, how long does a generation take? Well, you can define each generation roughly, right? As the length of time from conception till a female has another baby. That would spark the next generation, right? On average, it's between 30 and 40 years. So every 30 to 40 years, roughly, maybe sooner, a long time ago, you get a new generation. Well, this quickly adds up. Because remember, it takes two people from each generation to get you here. So already, if you're looking at your mom, your dad, and your great-grandparents, you've got two, right? Plus four, right? Plus eight. So eight plus four is 12. Plus two more people is 16. So all, I'm sorry, it's 14. <laughs> My math off the Harvard doctor. But so already, uh, you've got a number that grows pretty rapidly in terms of getting you here. And that's just with three generations. If you go back 30 generations, the number quickly exceeds more than a million individuals. So over a million individuals in the space of 900 years, saying 30 years of generation, contributed to you being here. So you beat seven billion to get here and you need more than a million to combine to get you here. If you combine those two probabilities to figure out the fact that you're here right now in this space, my gosh, you know something? You are an absolute walking miracle. And why do you not feel that way? Because everyone else here has the same story. But just because everyone has the same story, you should not feel like you're not special. I'm gonna bring it all home now. The final part in this is that the reason why you are an absolute masterpiece is the same reason why people cry at funerals. Do you know why people cry at funerals? And they usually cry when a baby is born? The reason why you cry when a baby is born because you realize the uniqueness of the birth and 
what has transpired, especially for the mom, in carrying that baby for nine months. It's even more potent at funerals. You know why? Because everybody realizes at the funeral that they will never be able to go anywhere in the world and find that person again. That entity, that person who occupied that space, that time, that body, that being is ever, and that represents you and me and everyone else. And the only two things that we have of that person that lasts forever are the words and the memories. Those are the two things that we can create. Every one of us has that ability, but you will never find that person anywhere on earth again. Now imagine if you had God's job, because every single day we've got all these babies being born and every single one of them has to be absolutely unique. You say, I'm not unique. Oh yes, you are. You are so unique that your fingerprints uniquely identify you. Nobody else has your fingerprints. Do you realize that? And nobody else is here at the time you are occupying the space you are, who is you? And it will never happen again in the history of the universe. So you are a walking masterpiece and even greater, not only are you a walking masterpiece, but you are a once in a lifetime individual with a once in a lifetime job. Now at a later lesson, we're gonna talk about that because we're gonna talk about purpose. But the reason why you are here is because you have a defined purpose. God has given you one. For me, I know that my purpose was to be a doctor and a teacher. My mom was a teacher, my sister is a teacher. My great-great-grandfather was a doctor who traveled to Panama, and I have relatives from there. He helped treat yellow fever, so it was in my blood. God told me from the time I was young, when I was five years old, I knew I was gonna be a doctor. It might not be that clear for you, but clearly there are some people who, when they figure out their purpose, I'd say Michael Jordan's probably was playing basketball. <laughs> you get the picture. Once you figure out your purpose, it almost seems like the heavens align. And that is the role that God says, and it says it here again in Ephesians. He says, you are a masterpiece, and he wants you to accomplish the good things he planned for you long ago. So brothers and sisters, as I conclude today, I hope that you've learned and you will never look at yourself again. Realize that people will cry at your funeral because they will never see you again. You're here for a short period of time, in terms of eternity. Figure out why you're here. Let your next action be, I need to know why I'm here. And I would contend to you one of the ways to do that is to get close to our Heavenly Father, God. Through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the blessings of His Spirit, you will learn and you will grow. Father God, I thank you for this day that we are all masterpieces and that we live and love through you. May you be blessed, Father, and in the miracle of birth and the miracle of generations, thank you for placing us here at this time with great things that are in us, seeds of greatness. And may we always, my God, always remember that you created us and that you don't create junk. For as you said, and as you told the prophet Jeremiah, and we take it, O oh Lord, for us as well, that before we were formed in our mother's womb, you knew us. And we thank you, O oh Lord. We thank you. And that you birthed us and you set us apart to do great things. In the name of the mighty Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of your spirit, until next time, my brethren, I thank you, our Father, for hearing us. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Tune in next time for another episode of Life's Lessons Through God's Word and 3D Surround Audio.